Hey, Upper Room listeners, this is Autumn Williams. I help oversee events at Upper Room, and we have Maranatha End of Year Conference, December 29th through 31st. We're going to be at Trinity Church in Cedar Hill with some of our dear friends and our close family from Dallas and Denver and Frisco, and we want to invite you, our online listening community, to join us with a corporate Maranatha cry. We have a special discount code for you. It is 20% off your registration when you use the promo code Family Reunion. One word, Family Reunion. Go to upperroom.co to register and find more information. Hello, Reward Sabanda here, and I am so excited to invite you to listen to this incredible message on Thanksgiving by our very own pastor, Michael Miller. Listen. He drops some perspective that goes into the history of us as the upper room and what has positioned us as a community that gives God Thanksgiving morning, noon, and night. You do not want to miss this because in it is a recalibration that sets us and our families up to live lives that get access to God's blessing and incredible things. So it completely recalibrated my perspective, and I know it will do the same for you. So Listen to this podcast, share this with someone, and let's go deep into this timely word on Thanksgiving and gratitude. Amen. So I, uh, we've been talking through end times. I know Corey just tattooed Matthew 24 last week, as only Corey can. We're going to hop back into that next week, but I wanted just to take uh, a moment this weekend and honor the holiday of Thanksgiving. Um, I would be remiss if I did not. Uh, teach on Thanksgiving. It is such uh, an important revelation for our community. Um, I, and it's, it's one of these revelations that you, you grow up with, right? I've got a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and 10-year-old. And the first thing I teach them uh, to do is to say these two words, thank you. Uh, but I realize that it's taken a lifetime. I'm still growing in the revelation around these two words, specifically when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. I start out every day with these two words to him. I was just looking at my journal. Uh, I journal, every, most mornings I journal, and I always have uh, two words, thank you. And then I just start bullet pointing what I'm thankful for. And typically it's the same things. But I always start my day out just honoring the Lord in thanks. And I think that there's a grace that I've tapped into personally. I think there's a grace that we've tapped into as a community, as I'm gonna explain here later, around a rhythm of giving thanks regularly. Uh, it's something that we, we can set aside and it becomes peripheral until um, you know, we have the holiday or someone teaches on it. But my hope for you is that you, especially if you're young, is that you can really... Um, tap into the power of thanksgiving. I think it's one of the greatest weapons we've been given as God's people. Um, You cannot be thankful for something you have not fully received. Let me say that again. You cannot be thankful, truly thankful, for something you have not truly received. Let me say it again over here. You You cannot truly be grateful unless you've truly received that which you're being grateful for. So you can just say, thank you, God. And it's like a tip at the end of a meal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about tipping God and giving him lip service. God doesn't need a tip, but I'm talking about rooting your heart, rooting it, 
in the revelation that you have nothing, yeah. nothing outside of him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So every morning, every morning, <laughs> thank you for what? That breath? Thank you for what? Clothes. Thank you for what? Your eyes, your ears. Like, like I know this is meat and potatoes. Simple. One, oh, one. But man, in this world that's getting complicated, I want to center my lives around the meat and potatoes of the gospel. I want to center around the meat and potatoes of the faith. And this revelation of thanksgiving is paramount. In the days ahead. It says in the end times, Matthew 24, to hit that, the love of many will grow what? If your heart is a grateful heart, your heart won't grow cold. Because it'll be tapped into and connected to the source of all that you have. And I'm going to show you the power of ungratefulness here in just a second. But like my my three-year-old, he's hilarious. He loves to, he loves to pray. He's a constant mood, my three-year-old. He's a funny dude. Um, but when he prays, I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. Okay, Truman, you can pray. We grab hands and he makes sure everyone's looking. And then, and then he's like, thank you for, and he names every thing that he likes on his plate. He'll leave out certain things and then he'll go around the table and you know, the status of your relationship with Truman right there, because he will go, thank you for mom. Doesn't he do this, Hannah? He goes, not thankful for Hannah, not thankful for Salem, thankful for Freeland, not thankful for dad, which means you're not in right standing with him if you don't make the thank you list, but he is honest and he's connected to the power of this activity. I know I'm gonna be thankful for things that I like, right? And so, I mean, he understands a a, a very three-year-old concept of, of the idea of giving thanks, but, but, you know, the Bible says to be thankful in all things. Yeah. <clears throat> and in this age of entitlement, just self-centered yuck, Thanksgiving shifts the focus off of ourselves. Yes, and and like we, we do this morning, noon, and night thing. It was a rhythm of life that we wanted to get into um, in ministering to the Lord. And I, I've, I've wrestled with how do we rightly do that? How do we rightly, consistently minister to God? How do we bless him? How do we set a table for him? How do we center our community around this one thing? And I, I, I'm unapologetic about continuing to talk about the one thing because I know the one thing is unto everything else. And so how do we as a community, if this is the mandate that he's given us, I, someone recently was like, you guys, they were just poking holes at what I'm leading. And, uh, and <laughs> I, it came out of me. I was like, listen, I, I feel like you're mad at Tom Brady for not being a receiver. <laughs> do you know who Tom Brady is? He's like the greatest quarterback of all time. What do quarterbacks do? Quarterbacks throw. Yeah. Who do they throw to? Receivers. But it's like, you're, you're, you're upset with me for who I'm not. <laughs> like, it's like being mad at Tom Brady because he's not a lineman or mad at Tom Brady because he's not kicking 60-yard field goals. No, Tom Brady's a quarterback. And I was like, there's certain things that upper room has, we've, we've just 
decided that we're called from the Lord to do. And one of them is to set a table regularly for the Lord. And I get, there's a lot of things we don't do, but this is like one thing that, okay, we've decided this is the position we're called to play in our city as a house of prayer, to minister to the Lord, morning, noon, and night. I, I get that, that like, like uh, there's certain things that we need to do better, but this is one thing we've set before us continually. So I was like, okay, what would that look like for us to do it? And anyone that's close to me and has been close to the journey of us understanding how to set this table, these two words are paramount to that vision and mission. Thank you. The Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving. What's a gate? A gate is a peripheral boundary. Every stinking golf course I want to play on earth that I covet getting into has a massive gate that I can't play the course because I can't get through the gates. Not that I've tried. But my point is, is, that, is that gates protect outsiders from coming in. And the Bible says you enter the gates of what? The gates to the courtroom of heaven. You enter the gates with thanksgiving, which means you don't show up to that gate empty-handed. You're going to show up to that gate with an offering, and it's an offering of thanks. I call thanksgiving uh, the little hinge that opens up a big door. Largest door in the world. Last time I checked, <laughs> I got you thinking there. I can see your heads like, what would be the largest door in the world? Uh, it's NASA. It's, it's the big doors that open up when the shuttle comes out to take off. It's 456 feet tall. But if you look at that door, there's little hinges that that massive door sits on. And those little hinges make that door a door. Without those hinges, you just have a big wall. A door without a hinge is a wall. And I would say the same is true of a heart that isn't grateful. It's walled off. And if you want your door to be, the door of your heart to be open to the Lord and to others, Thanksgiving is the key. It's the little hinge that opens up the door to your heart. I'm gonna try over here. Big doors, little hinges. Without the hinge, a door becomes a wall. You can't walk through a wall. You can't get into a wall. Why? Because a wall's a wall. There's no door on this wall. It's a wall. This is what some of our hearts are because we've lost the attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude. And like, I don't feel thankful. It's not about how you feel. You don't know what I'm going through right now. I'm not concerned with what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. My, my uh, gratitude takes your eyes off you. Yes. Yes, sir. Gratitude reminds you of what you've been given. Thanksgiving. What are you giving? Thanks for what you've received. The Christian life begins with receiving. It doesn't begin with doing. It doesn't begin with flexing. It begins with you seated in a chair, receiving from the Lord what only you can from him. And so the natural response to the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel is the celebration, which comes to these two words. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you for what? The offering. Thank you for what? The finished work. Thank you for what? Forgiveness. Thank you for what? Loving me when I was your enemy. Thank you for what? All the benefits. Who forgives all my sins? Who heals all my diseases? Who redeems me from the pit? Thank for what? I mean, it's, you start just looking back. If you want to be thankful, just look back at what? Before you existed, God chose you. To be what? Holy and blameless before him. He accepted you. That puts you at rest. Thanksgiving, it confronts your striving. It confronts you flexing. It confronts you just trying to make it. It puts you in a place of rest. And I believe it gives you leverage over your present reality. Why? Because of what he has accomplished on your behalf. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already displayed his love. Jesus is already ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father. He has already been given the name above all names. Jesus Christ is Lord. So what do we say? Thank you. Some of you getting delivered right now. I want the deep stuff. This is deep. You don't need to go to the third heaven. You don't. You don't need a new revelation. You need to just believe what you already know and say thank you for it. Thank you. All right, I have you in Romans 1. Romans 1 is a, it's a big chapter theologically. Uh, the book of Romans, um, like the great patriarchs of our faith in church history, Romans is, is it was the letter. Like Martin Luther, Romans. Uh, St. Augustine, Romans. Uh, Finney, Romans, like guys that, that have shaped and formed our faith historically, Romans has been such a significant part of it. And Romans 1 is making the case that, that <clears throat> is making the case that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It, 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 it like culminates in crescendos in, in, in Romans 3, but this argument begins in Romans 1. And and what, what Paul is doing is he's revealing the righteousness that's found in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, you cannot be made right with God. But he's, he's first creating the need by uncovering the depravity of man and how far we've gotten twisted from the original design. And... And, and, and I, think, I think there's this moment in this letter that's, that's, that needs to really, uh, you need to sit in it. You need to sit in the weight of it. I mean, sometimes we just kind of skim through and, and get information, but I, I really want this to touch your heart today because it fits right into this theme of Thanksgiving. And again, this three-year-old revelation, but again, we need to become childlike, amen? And so uh, Revelation 117, it is like the the verse for the book of Romans. I was like, when, when people talk about Roman, they're like, okay, Romans 117 is what's the book about? What's the book about? Um, 
well, it's 16, 17. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, in what? The proclamation of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And the righteous man shall live by faith. So he's gonna make the case that by faith we're saved, by faith we're made right with God, but he's gonna show us Again, starting in verse 18, how we've fallen short of our design. So read with me. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that's which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Look at this. For since the creation of the world, so since God created the world, his invisible attributes, which God, you cannot see him, but he's saying his invisible attributes, eternal power and divine nature, so who he is and what he does, have been clearly seen. So you can see them even though his attributes are invisible, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So God can be revealed, a revelation of God can be seen when you walk out the doors and you look at what he has designed and created. Now, now the highest revelation is Jesus, but he's saying that you can know God through creation. It's, it's limited knowledge, ultimate knowledge through his son Jesus, but he's saying that they had a connection to me based on what he created. In eight, they knew that there was someone behind it. You following me? Okay, but look at this. Look at this. Verse 21 is, is like the boom. Hits you in the nose. For even though they knew God. Now, how many of you fit in the category if I were to like, hey, do you know God? You would raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know God. All right, majority of the room. So, for even though they knew God. So even though they sat in a chair at the upper room, sang the songs, knew the scriptures, could describe what a relationship with God was like. It says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And then it specifically defines how they did not honor him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. So what is this saying? This is saying that if you know God, there's a response a heart response to the knowledge of him. And it's one, honor, but honor is first expressed through thanksgiving. So they didn't honor him and give thanks or by giving thanks. So I think honor and thanks go hand in hand. One of the ways we first honor the Lord is through gratitude. Why? Because all that we have is from him. Starting with creation, starting with the fact that you were created in his image. I know this is meat and potatoes 101, but some of your lives are so wonky and crazy and you're just caught in a lot of swirl. And if you can get centered upon the simplicity of devoting yourself back to the Lord, getting to the basics of what he said, all of a sudden life doesn't get so complicated. And so even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. Now I'm going to read through the rest of the text because some of you just need to hear Bible. Okay, but just follow me. I really want you to, everyone has an app, Bible app on their phone. Follow me here just for a second. Bear with me. Okay, so, so look at this. So they did not honor God to give thanks. I'm in verse 21 of Romans 1. But they became futile in their speculation and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. So this is where it starts to go south. 
professing to be wise, they became fools. Hello, 2021. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of incorruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. So they started worshiping the created instead of the creator. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the created who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for women and exchanged natural functions for that which is unnatural. This is homosexuality. And in the same way, also men abandoned natural function uh, with women and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinances of God, uh, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they uh, not only do the same, but also give their hearty approval for those who practice them. So, so hear this, Romans 1.21, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks. So the little hinge was removed from the door. And the door became a wall. And behind the wall came this list. It's dark list. You can't see it, but it's very dark. Here's the list. Feudal in mind. All of this is listed. We just read it, but I'm going to read it again just in case you didn't hear me. Feudal in mind, foolish in heart, lust consumed them. Their body was dishonored, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worship created instead of created. They became twisted in their passions and desires. Homosexuality is listed in this text. <clears throat> but, you know, Let's, let's just, let's, let me jump over here real fast. So is, uh, so is disobeying your parents, right? So we're not inflating one sin over another, but it all fits in this category of something is off. Hate, envy, greed, murder, quarreling, deception, malice, behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. Paul just kind of sums it up. If I don't list it here, you won't invent ways to get evil. Disobey parents, refuse to understand, break their promises, heartless, and they have no mercy. And so when I was pastoring in Oak Lawn, which is where Upper Room started as the crow flies about a mile from where we're at tonight, it's the homosexual epicenter of Dallas. Uh, from the outside looking in, it's a very appealing place to plant a church. Just because it's the dark area and there weren't a lot of churches there. But I watched pastor after pastor come in, at least four church plants, more resources, gifts, strategy than we had. And Oaklawn chewed them up and spit them out. It is just a hard, hard ground. I called it a, a church planter's graveyard. And so as I was wrestling with this issue, like, I don't know if you've been to Oak Lawn, but like the crosswalks were typically in the suburbs, they're like white striped crosswalk across the road. It's rainbow colored. There's rainbow flags everywhere. Um, 
I was getting hit on continually. In other places, my wife gets hit on, but there I was getting hit on. And I was wrestling. I was like, Lord, you found the wrong guy. Like, I do not like Oaklawn. I'm a suburbs guy. I play golf, you know, like I watch football. I know what guys in the suburbs struggle with. Here, it's really hard to relate. And, and there's a long story there as to what the Lord did in me personally. But one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is studying the context in which I found myself now pastoring a church and it was in the homosexual community. And I read Romans 1 a lot because it is the most specific part of the New Testament that addresses this issue. And as I was reading it, like Romans 1.21 just leapt off the page. It leapt off the page. And I felt like the Lord said, instead of addressing this issue of people's sexuality, come back to Romans 121 and do what mankind did not do first. And that was honor me or give me thanks. And so we started in this little room in Oak Lawn where the Lord said, minister to me first and foremost. We came back to Romans 121 and said, Lord, we in this community, we are going to honor you and we are going to give you thanks three times a day. And, and an environment was created. That environment was an environment that was first designed for the presence of the Lord. It was a table that was set for him. But what I realized is that that community, which is broken, hurting, and it's not just about the homosexual community, it's all of us. Broken, hurting, hinge, not on the door, hearts hard, closed off, a veil. What I learned is when people come into an environment where Thanksgiving has been stewarded and ministering to the Lord is the primary thing, hearts melted. The Lord walked through those walls. I have so many testimonies of, of men that were in the lifestyle that walked into this community. And when we would begin singing, the thing that they would say is, I feel like someone's giving me a hug. The thing they would say is, I, I just, there's a peace that's here. It's not out there, but when I walk into this geographical location, there's, there's an atmosphere that's here. They would, they, it, I wasn't saying it. We owned a coffee shop down there. We had hundreds of people from that community and we heard testimonies. I don't know where my team is that worked in the coffee shop, but people would say all the time, there's something different about this coffee shop. And all I know is that we use this little hinge and we honored him through Thanksgiving praise and worship. It was the little hinge that God threw And, and, and it, it, you know, one of the things that, that I tapped into as I've studied this out, this is a massive, like, personal pearl in my life. I was reading Revelation chapter 4, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it describes very detailed where God has chosen to, to live, like the throne room. It's titled Seen in Heaven in my, my, my book, but my, my, my Bible. But look at this. This is Romans 4. These are all the times the throne is mentioned. This is a lot. Look at that. Look at that. A throne was standing. There was one 
sitting on the throne, around the throne, around the throne. This is like the emerald rainbow. Around the throne, there were peals of lightning. From the throne came something. Before the throne, before the throne, in the middle of the throne, around the throne, sits on the throne, sits on the throne, before the throne. This chapter is about what? I mean, that's pretty evident. It's like however many times the throne is mentioned. But it describes those around the throne, which there's 24 elders, but there's these four living creatures. They've got eyes within and without and six wings, and they just sit before the Lord, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But in verse 9 of this chapter talking about the throne, verse 9 hit my heart years ago. It says, and when the living creatures... Give glory and honor and thanks. What did they not do in Romans 121? Give honor and thanks. But in the chapter that's describing where the Lord rests, dwells, his throne, the activity those closest to him are doing what mankind did not. They are honoring God and they are giving thanks. Why? Because it's the natural response to knowing him. It's a natural response to knowing him. It's a natural response to knowing him. It's a natural response to seeing him. It's a natural spot. Oh my God, thank you. Oh my God, how wonderful are you? They have a front row seat. They're not, they're not giving thanks in faith. It's like a reality right there. And so what I realized like becomes a wall and, and has created hell on earth, ungratefulness and not honoring the Lord in heaven, that hinge is what makes heaven heaven. Well, it's heaven, it's heaven because Jesus is there, but Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. <laughs> but they're responding through honor and thanks. Isn't that powerful? Makes me Thanksgiving is a little hinge that opens a big door that releases the power of God in your life. It disarms hell. Thanksgiving disarms the powers of hell over your life. Thanksgiving. It's your weapon. All right, let me, let me give you just a, a couple of, of, of things Thanksgiving does. One, Thanksgiving is under hosting the Lord. You can write these down. I really want you to take notes. Just, we're going to do an exercise with our phones at the end of tonight. Um, Thanksgiving is under hosting Jesus. Do you remember uh, Psalms 132? We walked through that a couple of weeks ago. How many of you remember Psalms 132? Oh, come on, Bible people. Psalms 132. What is Psalms 132? Who wants to, who wants to tell me about it? It's a vow. Who made the vow? What was the vow? I want to, yes, he makes this one vow. This is really important. I want to connect dots here. I want you to be rooted in the word, guys. The songs are awesome. I know a lot of you, like worship's amazing, but if you don't have the word in you, It's just, you're not going to, Christianity will be a fad for you. 
I've failed you if this becomes a fad and just a cool thing. So Psalms 132, again, I want to put this before you. It's a vow that David made that changed the course of history. He said, Lord, I, I want all my energy and strength and days to be unto finding a resting place for you. It's what made David, David. I want to find a resting place. Well, in 1 Chronicles, flip over there. Let's go 1 Chronicles 13. 1 Chronicles. You getting good teaching tonight? 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3. David's going to fulfill the vow to the Lord as king. First decree he's made as king. First thing he says we're going to be about as a nation. If you've heard me teach at all, you've heard me teach 1 Chronicles 13, 3. He says, let us bring back the ark of God for us, for we did not seek in the days of Saul. All right, so this is him fulfilling Psalms 132. So how does he do that? Well, he puts the ark on a cart and uh, that doesn't go so well. The cart falls off, uh, Uzzah reaches out, touches it, Uzzah's dead immediately. Reproach to the mission, he stores the, the, the ark in a barn for three months and he gets in the scriptures. And the story's revisited in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. So flip over two chapters. Verse one, now David built homes for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So this is him fulfilling Psalms 132. And David said this, this is what David learned about hosting God. He said, no one is to carry the ark of God, but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. So this is ministry to him. It's a select group of people within the tribes of of Israel, it's the tribe of Levi. They're gonna to minister to him forever. So he surrounds the ark with the Levites. They're musicians. First Chronicles 15, if you're artistic at all, read First, uh, First Chronicles 15. It describes who the Levites are, singers, um, musicians. They get around the ark, they start singing and they march the ark into David's tent that he pitched. I'm telling you all this to show you one verse in First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16, they bring the ark inside the tent that David pitched for the ark. They start making offerings. David then uh, blesses the people and distributes uh, bread and, and cake to them. And then in verse seven, this is the scripture. Then on that day, what day? The day that David brought the ark into the tent. The day that David fulfilled his vow to the Lord. The day that David said, we're gonna seek the ark of God. They're gonna seek him as a nation. Look at what he does. David on that day, first assigned Asaph, chief Levite, father of the tribe and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. What did he basically say? If reward is Asaph, come here. Here's the ark. I'm king. I'm king. You are your Levites. Okay, I'm gonna go be king. You stay here. I'm gonna pay you full time. Give thanks to the Lord. And he walks out. And so Asaph, Asaph, w w I wonder if he's like, he's like, this is it? <laughs> All of this? You just want me to sit here and say thank you? Yes. David tapped into the power of this revelation. You and your relatives stay here. And the primary thing you do is just thank God. For what? For being our God. Yeah. For what? <laughs> For being our leader. For what? <laughs> he assigned them. When you feel like it, no, 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 no. You're going to be assigned, you and the thousands of people under you. What are you assigned to do? Make, make noises of thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. But you want me, you want me to, you, 
you're leaving me here? Yeah, I'm leaving you here. For what? Give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to go rule and reign. I'm going to go. And, and if you look at chapter 16, he's told he can't have the, the kingdom. And 17, David goes out and he kicks butt. He conquers nations. He gathers wealth. What are Asaph and the boys doing? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's David doing? Ruling and reigning. It's the in and the out. Come on. Thanksgiving is so much more than a holiday. I'm grateful for the holiday. I'm thankful for it. I think it's amazing that our nation has a day that we stop to give thanks. I think it's amazing. But this revelation is a profoundly spiritual. And it is, it is a foundational revelation for you as a believer in Jesus. Thanksgiving unto hosting Jesus. Thank you. So Thanksgiving is unto hosting Jesus. Uh, second, Thanksgiving is unto Deliverance. Write that down. Thanksgiving's unto deliverance. Um, You're familiar with the story of Jonah. I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but Jonah um, ends up in the belly of a well. Why? Because he was running from God. He was rebellious. He ends up on a ship, storm hits. He tells the guys, hey, listen, I'm the reason this is happening. Toss me overboard. Toss him overboard, a whale swallows him up. He's in the belly of a fish. What do you do when you're in the belly of the fish? Well, you realize... You're in the belly of a fish. And when you're in the belly of a fish, you realize you can't get out of the belly of a fish. You got yourself into this situation, but you can't get yourself out. And many of you, this is where you're at tonight. You got yourself into the situation, but you can't get yourself out. Why? Maybe you're in addiction. Maybe you're living a double life. There's people in here that are living a double life. You're one thing when you're here at church, but you're another thing tomorrow morning. You're another thing... Friday, Saturday night, you're living a life of duality. And I would say you're in the pit. It's a miserable existence to be a double-minded man. It's miserable to be half in on this journey with Jesus. It is, I think it's worse than actually just being rebellious and like, you know, forget you, God. It is so challenging living a life of duality. And if that's you, you're in a pit. What do you need? Deliverance. So what do you do when you're in a pit? You cry out. Who do you cry out to? You cry out to God. Now, Jonah spends, Jonah chapter two is 10 verses. So Jonah one is him running. Jonah two is him in the belly and what he does. Jonah three, he gets spit up and he goes to Nineveh, preaches. Jonah four is he's mad at God because of the results of his preaching. So it's four chapters, not a big book, but we're starting here in chapter two with Jonah's cry to the Lord from the belly of a pit. The first Nine verses are him describing his plight. I'm in a belly of a fish. It's dark. I can't get out. Help. But in verse nine, with shouts Is that really the verse? Sorry, that's not, I think that's the verse, but it's just, it's in a different translation and it's really hitting right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, there it is. Yeah, is that what was the previous one? Oh, okay, here's nine, sorry. But I will sacrifice to you. What will I sacrifice to you? A voice of thanksgiving. 
That which I have vowed, I will pay salvations from the Lord. Salvation's only found in you. Lord, in the pit, I'm gonna give you thanks. Thanksgiving's found in the pit. And look at verse 10. Irresistible to God. All right, spit him out. From Thanksgiving, then the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah upon the dry land. This is, this is you acknowledging you need a savior. Lord, I can't get out of here, but I thank you that you see me in this pit and that salvation only comes from you. If you can genuinely thank him in the pit for that, transformation comes. So like truly, it's not just giving him lip service. It's not giving him lip service. It's coming under the revelation that you cannot get out of your plight. You can't get out of it. You got into it, but you can't get out of it. But salvation comes from you. Oh, it's the day of salvation. The bowels of hell. The bowels of hell spit you out. We can't keep one that's grateful for a work that disarms our work. We can't keep them. It's prophetic of hell itself. You're in the belly. You can't get yourself out. You're miserable. When you come to the end of yourself and you say, Lord, I can't keep doing this. I need your help. I'm surrendering today. And thank you that salvation comes from you. Thanksgiving unto life. John 11, this is how Jesus resurrected Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. He wept with Mary. He then got in front of the stone. In verse 41, John 11, it says, they took away the stone from where the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. This is how Jesus raised the dead. I mean, if it was up to me, I would start doing charismatic, like calisthenics. Like, in the name of Jesus! You know, like I would go to all these default, like, no, no, no. He dials in. Father, thank you that you hear me. And it's from that that he gets the leverage to declare Lazarus, come out. He raised the dead through Thanksgiving. I mentioned this this morning. I've, uh, I've seen a lot of mothers, especially, um, resurrect children through the power of Thanksgiving. Thanking God for the destiny over their child's life. Speaking into the funk, the darkness, the situations that seem helpless. He just wept, but Jesus got above all of it. And he goes, no, 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 I thank you your perspective is higher, better, truer than mine. Raises the dead. Thanksgiving unto multiplication. John 6, 11. This is a story you're familiar with. Jesus had all the people recline, sit down. He took a young boy's loaves and fishes. He took the fish and Jesus looked up. And he gave thanks for what he had. And 
through the gate of thanksgiving, the Lord touched what Jesus had in his lack, in his need, and he blessed the multitudes. Thanksgiving. And I think, I think it's actually the key. If you can just be grateful for what you have, it blesses what you have and it multiplies what you have. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> um, so this is John six eleven. Having given thanks, he distributed it to those. So we, we call this miracle the feeding of the 5,000. We call this miracle, there's the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. It's supernatural that the bread was multiplied, which is profoundly like a wild story in the natural looking at it that the little became much in the hands of the Lord. But later on in John, verse 23, John 6, 23, it's describing, so this is later on after Jesus walks on the water. So he multiplied the bread in the day, he walked on water at night, and then he went to another region. That's why he was walking on water. He was going somewhere else. But small boats from Tiberias which were across the way. Again, Jesus has walked on water. He left people. There were boats there. Those boats followed him. And this is describing where those boats had come from. And it says those boats, those small boats from Tiberias, near the place where they were the day before, but near the place where they ate the bread. And then heaven records it. I think it's so interesting that John says, after the Lord had given thanks. So heaven's record isn't, that the bread was multiplied. Heaven's record is that Jesus took the bread and gave thanks for what he had. What is is my point? We look at it and we go, well, that's where bread was multiplied. That was the miracle. Heaven goes, no, 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 no. The miracle is that there was one that had lack and he just gave thanks for what he has knowing that God's his provider and multiplied. So heaven's record was different than ours. Heaven's record is is that, no, that's the place that someone was grateful in their little. It's like, it's like the testimony recorded was, whoop, he was grateful. He didn't beg. He gave thanks. And I feel like some of you are in that place. Like you're at a place where you have lack. Like there's just lack. It could be relational lack. It could be emotional lack. It could be financial lack. But like if you can take that and touch with gratitude what you've been given and present it before the Lord, yes. heaven is like, <laughs> yeah. 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 that's an act of faith. Faith pleases God. Faith moves heaven. Yes, sir. It's heaven's password. Thank you. It's like, I don't know if there's, you know, there's not actually, maybe Jesus is the password to get in since he's the way, the truth, and the life. But next to Jesus would be, um, do you know the code? I do. What is it? Thank you, Jesus. Come on in. It's like, it's like there were those that didn't prepare for the wedding feast and banquet. And I'm like, well, how do you prepare? Thank you that I'm invited Thank you that you see me. Thank you that you know me. Like an entitled kid is my, as a parent, I do not want to raise entitled kids. I want to raise kids that are grateful. 
Because grateful centered on humility. Grateful centered on it ain't about them. And oh, why should, do you know the passcode? <laughs> I love that thought. Yes, thank you. All right, come on in, dude. Um, so Psalms 100 verse three, it says to enter the gates with thanksgiving in their hearts. So we're, we're gonna do that. Uh, we're gonna do it two ways. Uh, first is we're gonna take communion. Communion's on your chairs. <clears throat> this is another powerful revelation around Thanksgiving. I didn't teach on this this morning, but Paul, was this helpful tonight? In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. And in verse 23, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three, look at this. He's talking about this meal, which, do you know, in, in, in more of the liturgical communities, what do they call this? Does anyone know what they call this? Eucharist. They call it the Eucharist. Have you ever heard that term, Eucharist? Yeah. Okay, do you know what Eucharist means? Eucharist means to give thanks. It's a Greek word, to give thanks. Yeah. So this is called Eucharist because it's where we come to give thanks. And Paul, on 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, it says, For I received from the Lord. So Paul actually didn't meet the Lord till after the Lord was glorified and resurrected. He persecuted the church. But at some point, we know the Lord came to Paul specifically to talk about this meal. Because he says, For I received from the Lord. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord in the night in which he was betrayed, so Judas betrays him, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and what's the next word? He gave thanks. Here's our theme again. When did he give thanks? When he got betrayed. When did he give thanks? Before he took on your sin and mine. When did he give thanks? He gave thanks around this table knowing that he was the meal. Lord, I give you thanks that I'm the offering. I give you thanks that my blood and my body is going to make right and reconcile mankind to you. I give you thanks. <laughs> of all the times it was Jesus' time to be self-centered. Lord, strengthen me. I'm, I'm giving myself tonight. No, 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 I mean, he could have made it all about him, but what does he do? <sighs> this represents my broken flesh and shed blood. Thank you. It's profound if you tap into the power of this thing. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night he would be handed over and the torture would begin, the next day he would be murdered. It was like he entered all of that by saying, Father, thank you that I get to honor you in this way. Thank you that I get to prepare a table for your people in the presence of all that they will find. What do we say tonight, Lord? Thank you for what? The table... Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your shed blood. So just lift up the wafer. This is his body shed for you, or his body broken for you. This is by stripes you've been made healed. You've been made whole. You've been healed. So if I can talk. I just want you to break it in your, in your hand if you can. Lord, this body was broken so that ours could be made whole. And I just declare any sickness in the room, Give thanks for this provision tonight. Give thanks for this. Give thanks tonight for his broken body so that your body can be made whole. Right now, if there's cancer in the room, if there's liver issues, I felt specifically tonight the Lord was gonna to touch someone's liver. If there's heart issues, 
if there's blood issues, if there's diabetes, if there's uh, chronic illness and pain, if there's fear of COVID, we declare, Lord Jesus, your body was broken so that ours could be whole. And so we give you thanks tonight. Receive his body. And then the blood. This is the blood of the covenant. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But tonight I have good news for you. (laughs) This blood can remove the sting power of your sins, the guilt, the shame. This blood is sufficient to cleanse your conscience before the Lord. So give thanks tonight for the blood. Give thanks tonight. Just say, thank you, Jesus, that I draw near through the blood. Thank you that I'm made whole and right. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. From your heart, pumped your blood through your veins, by your broken body, the blood spurted out onto the earth. And it was shed so that I can be made right with God. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you for covenant that we have. Thank you for the table of the Lord. Receive the blood tonight. In Jesus' name. All right. One last thing. Get your phone out. Go to the notes section. At the top of notes, I want you to say, thank you, Jesus. And we take 60 seconds of ask uh, our band to come up if you would. How sweet was justice the other night? Singing. I don't think I've been with you since uh, she kind of took the, the, the night, man. That was so powerful. Precious, precious girl. Um, I want you to do this for the next 60 seconds. I want you to write everything you're thankful for. Just write it in list form, bullet form. Just thank you, Jesus, for breath. Thank you for my relationships. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my family. Be as specific as you can. I'm loading your gun because we're going to fire this in just a second. So load it up because you're going to be telling the Lord these things, but I want you to itemize them out. Write them down. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes you can make it in the form of intercession, like, thank you, Lord, for restoration of my marriage. Thank you, Lord, that you're Lord of my marriage. Thank you, Lord, that you resurrect dead things and you can resurrect this relationship. Thank you, Lord, that you see my need financially and that you're my provider, Lord. My employer is not my provider. You're my provider. And I thank you for my employer but my eyes are focused on you. Thank you that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You multiply the bread and the fish. Thank you. You make a way where there seems to be no way. You lower mountains and raise valleys, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And just build your faith up through thanksgiving. Take another 20 seconds. When you're finished with your list, if you would stand to your feet.